Hello and welcome back to the Thunder Six Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be doing a recap of the Thunder Washington Wizards game and who just shined from that performance. But before I start, I just want to say this is one of the more quiet episodes. It's because I'm literally in a hotel room right now, so I'm probably not going to be as animated as usual, but I'm still going to go into all the heavy hitting points and kind of just what I saw from the game. So starting this out, we didn't know if Lou Dort was going to be playing. He was questionable. He got upgraded to play, so it changes everything. Said in yesterday's episode that him playing was going to change a lot because with him, it's not just the Darius Baisley show. You split him up, you kind of got you know even pieces to the pie whenever Dort's been gone Baisley has commanded things so you get that out of the way and then for Washington they really didn't have many players out they didn't have Denny Advia or Rui Hachimura didn't see Hachimura in the last game anyways when we played them it was just Denny Advia anyways and he didn't really do all that much any so so we were pretty much playing the same exact team we faced uh I think four or five days ago so just starting the game out it became clear that this would have been another kind of grueling battle. It took a little, uh, yeah, it took just around six minutes for one team to score two consecutive possessions without the other one scoring. It was by all means a back and forth. You'd see someone hit a three, someone get a pair of free throws on the other end. Now, now you're exchanging layups. Like nobody was getting any sort of breathing room, and. Whenever the Washington Wizards got on a 5-0 streak, just a simple Bradley Beal 3 and an Alex Len layup, they got up pretty decent amount. I mean, they were up 21-14 to because they were hitting threes, and then you get five straight. That's, that's going to do it for you. But what that did was it kind of laid the foundation for Oklahoma City to respond with their own sort of run, and they went on an 8-0 run to just take the lead right back there was two straight threes made and then Lou Dort got to a line sunk both of his free throws and even beyond that point they were still very hot at their biggest peak in the the little mini run they had it was 16 to 5 so they ended up getting up four points in the closing two minutes but then Washington started getting hot again and in the final play Russell Westbrook he was around the top of the key he finds, I believe it was um, Bradley Beal. I might be wrong, but someone was like in the mid-range uh, on the left left corner. So I guess left baseline. Hits him. The guy who gets it makes like a jump pass right over the defender in the corner. Finds uh, Chandler Hutchinson. Yeah, I think Berton's through to Hutchinson. But anyways, it goes right to Hutchinson in the left corner. He hoists the three up, and he gets it to go with .3 seconds left in the game or in the quarter. So they ended up taking a 36 to 35 lead through one. Both teams were shooting near identical. Uh, it was 52 to 48. Uh, those are the two percentages you saw. So really just neck and neck the whole entire way. And heading into the second, it seemed like it'd be much of the same. And then it turned into the Russell Westbrook show. Like he was dominant in the first quarter. Darius basically could not deal with him at all. But to start at the second, he was even more of a problem. He had the team's first 11 of 13 points. And the thing with that is it took him a good amount of time to get there. It took six minutes to post those 11. And for the Wizards, 13 points in the first six isn't all that amazing. 
especially when you take into the fact they uh, they scored 36 in the last uh, last 12. So the Thunder, they were actually able to capitalize off of this, and they had their bench unit in, plus Darius Baisley, and they were able to get the lead. So they took the lead back because it was kind of a one-man show. No one else was able to really score. And then in the midst of that run, it kind of got tr- cut short a little bit because Moses Brown, he was playing for an all right portion of the frame. Like he's maybe like two minutes into his stint whenever he got tossed back into the lion's den. He collected uh, his third and fourth personal fouls in a 50 second span. And this has been an issue with him where he has gotten four fouls. I think it might have been against the Washington Wizards in the last game that they played, but it, I think it was in this week where he would he had four personal fouls in the second quarter, and this happened again today. There was about five minutes left in the second when it happened, and when he got the um, the fourth, he started mouthing off to the official. He got a tech on his way out, and he was actually done for the game after that. Like I saw a tweet. He was wearing street clothes uh, for that second half, so I don't know if there was an injury or... It just wasn't his game, but yeah, he was not feeling it, and it kind of helped regenerate the Wizards' spirits because Bradley Beal got to the free throw line, he stuck his technical foul shot, and then he scored the next seven for the Washington Wizards, and this time, it got them back the lead. So now you're talking back to neck and neck, you know, lead changes all over the board, and the Thunder, they were able to kind of cool down the Wizards once they started heating up, um, but they never were really able to topple them. Like They were up for a brief moment. Wizards took the half 70-68, to 68, but there was still kind of a little bit of a flare-up from the Wizards' side, so Moses Brown got mad around the five-minute mark. Around the three-minute mark, Bertons got, uh, I think he fouled Teo Maladone, and he... Got his first free throw up. Like, Maladon made his first, and Bertons was still lipping off to officials. So he had a technical shot that he got sandwiched in between the play. So it was almost like a three-shot free throw for him. But, um, yeah, I just thought that was cool. But as we kind of progressed into the second half, it was even more about um, the Washington Wizards and what they were doing. They hounded the Thunder on a 15-3 run to begin the third and they shot at a six of eight clip so it wasn't like the second quarter where sure Russell Westbrook was getting his numbers but it took way too long these guys were pushing the pace and I think it only took them like four minutes to break the seal on this little run here and Oklahoma City they started imitating the imitating the Wizards because out of those six made shots they went three of three from downtown so the Thunder they just directed all their focus towards three their next three made field goals came from outside, but Russell Westbrook was still just a pain. Darius Baisley couldn't guard him. Lou Dort was getting thrown on him. Kenrich Williams was getting thrown on him. No one was able to crack the code on Westbrook, and we've seen it when he gets in his zone. He is an MVP player. He literally has that accolade attached to himself, and there's a reason, and he was playing like it. Like, at the seven-minute mark, I think it was. I I guess it was the six-minute mark. He already had 30 points, 7 rebounds, and 10 assists. He was not, you know, he was not away from a single play. It seemed like every positive play for the Wizards, he seemed to be somewhere in the mix there. Whether it was a pass, you know, a rebound leading to the play, or him just straight up scoring. 
Like, no one was staying in front of him. And during the run where the Thunder hit, you know, three of their threes, Russell Westbrook was still punching him right back with two quick uh, quick buckets under the basket. So he really helped out. And I think that little run from him helped the Wizards stay up afloat by 10 points. And, um, you know, they kind of got it dropped down to six. Whenever Westbrook got removed, I think it was around the five-minute mark where Scott Brooks pulled him to get him rested for the fourth. And um, Mark Dagnall, he, I think he got his starters in, and there's a little bit of success back. Like, they narrowed the, the uh, deficit down to six. But the Wizards, they got a strong ending to the quarter. It was a 6-2 to two run, and it got them back up. So they're up 100-90 to 90 entering that fourth quarter. And when you start the fourth quarter... Russell Westbrook was back, and he got his triple-double literally like 20 seconds in. The first play, I think it was a missed Isaiah Roby shot, and it went right to Westbrook. So he got his triple-double, 30 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists, and it kind of set the groundwork for uh, what that was going to mean for the Washington Wizards. So they had a pretty good inside-out game to begin, uh, I think the first six minutes. You know, it wasn't like the the first, uh, or I guess the third quarter, where they were just instantly chucking up shots and they were all going in. Like, it took a decent amount of time for their shots to kind of bake. But the Thunder, they were just ice cold. So they were kind of just gashing them um, with wounds all over the place. And six minutes in, they were up 17 points. So that seemed like kind of the nail in the coffin already. The Thunder needed a gigantic run of some sorts to even creep back into this game. And it simply was just not there. So no run for the Thunder. Washington had it really in the bag. But um, the thing that was a little bit interesting was, even despite that, neither Mark Dagnall nor Scott Brooks were pulling their starters. It took them until the two-minute mark for these starters to get pulled out of the game. And when it did kind of had a little bit of clashing. This was a very, very gritty game to the bitter end. And Russell Westbrook was, he was exchanging something with um, the Oklahoma City Thunder bench. So he ended up getting a technical foul. This was kind of a a foul that was already in the making, like just a couple minutes before that. Or, or scratch that. Um, I don't know if it was a couple minutes before, but there was a play where, you know, the Wizards, they got a basket to go in. And it's kind of just rolling. The ball's rolling right under the under the cylinder, like just bouncing. Maladon's trying to pick the ball up and go back out of bounds to throw an inbound pass. And Russell Westbrook's right under the rim still. It's just him and um, him and Westbrook right there. And as he's trying to pick the ball up, he just so subtly Westbrook like kicks the ball off as he's walking away, and nothing happened of it. But you can just kind of tell that there was some kind of commotion going on and then whenever plays were happening you saw back and forth just uh classic like trash talk so nothing too serious but yeah I mean I guess that was the final straw for the referees and um they decided to just send him off with a tech at that point it really didn't matter like I think Darius Baisley went up and hit the free throw but it was over the Washington Wizards they got their lead up to 20 to end the game won it 129 to 109 for them, that they're actually the hottest team in the league. They have won their last seven games, and they're looking at a playoff spot, or at least a play-in spot. They're 10th in the conference, and they are 26-33 and 33 in the East, so there is some chance for them to continue. You know, they look like a scary team. Westbrook and Bradley Beal, that's not your typical 8th seed or 
just a 10th seed, especially in an Eastern Conference where the Charlotte Hornets of all teams were like fourth for about the first four months. So anything can really happen this season. They look like they're kind of trending upwards, whereas the Thunder, they are not. They are the polar opposites. They are the coldest team in the league. They just inflated their losing streak to 13 with um, with this game, and they have a chance to tie their franchise record of 14 when they play the Philadelphia 76ers on Monday night. That's going to be a tough game for them. I'll talk about that tomorrow, but yeah, they have that to deal with. So just on to the next one. Mark Dagnall was kind of talking about um, their, you know, obviously after every game, they're a little bit upset after the losses, but they're, they're still focused, which is always good. But yeah, I, I can't imagine dropping the last 13 games is really going to help out much on the locker room. But, yeah, they've been close in a couple ones. Um, as a whole, though, you know, their just free fall has really helped in terms of lottery odds. We saw them as, like, a team stuck with the New Orleans Pelicans before this. They were, like, the 7th and 8th spot, maybe 8th and ninth even. Now they are securely in the 5th seed in lottery rankings. They are 5th. Yeah, they're 5th in, uh, in lottery and they're five games behind the Houston Rockets, who hold the grand prize number one spot. Just some interesting stuff, though, is below us, the Cleveland Cavaliers, they were breathing down their neck at 5.5 games back. They're now six and a half games back. So there is a 1.5 game cushion. And then right above them, the Orlando Magic with the fourth best odds. That is the one you want. They have a 1.5 game cushion. They're only three and a half games back of number one, but there's still some wiggle room right there when um, both of those teams play. I believe, I think the Magic play 13 games and the Thunder play 12. So there's some hope. But, you know, after this game, they actually just eclipsed the 60 game mark. Kind of wild. They, uh, they're 20 and 40 at this point. So. We'll see how they're able to close things out, but it is going to be pretty pivotal in what we are going to see um, from them and what we could potentially see draft night because getting a top five pick is going to be pretty essential for this rebuild. You definitely want to snag one, whether it's through the Rockets or your pick or even a trade, but that is kind of a last resort option. You definitely just want to have it straight up off of the ping pong balls. So didn't help out that they lost here. You know, for people wanting to tank, and I think that should probably be everybody now, this should be a good thing. I think that, you know, these losses as they rack up, you know, game after game, maybe it stings like for 30 minutes, but you kind of move on. You can't really move on from the fact you were potentially a loss or two away from a guy like, you know, Kate Cunningham, if you want to go there, the two Jalen's, Evan Mobley or Kuminga, you know, you can't really get that back. So this is for a greater purpose. You know, they're not actively trying to lose games. As you could see, like Dagnault did not pull the starters until the very end. But um, yeah, I mean, there there's going to be more losses. And out of those 12, they might win a couple. But I wouldn't immediately assume that, you know, they're going to come out of nowhere and go like six and six. Unless they get SGA, which I don't know if that would happen. But uh, just going back on to the game, this was, as I mentioned, a really chippy one. Like, from the box score, you just assume the Wizards had this under control the whole game. Definitely was not the case at all. Just really that second half performance uh, from them just really elevated them in their victory. But this was hard fought. Like, there were four techs 
and there were 40 personal fouls across the two teams. Washington had 23, and Oklahoma City had 17, and it was kind of just a 48-minute scrapyard, but um, there was no major flare-up, as I talked about, just like the the little subtle things, like the Westbrook kicking the ball, just talking back and forth, but yeah, it was pretty tense most of the way through, so... Uh, it's something that Dagnall talked about is just being a competitor when Westbrook got his tech. But, yeah, I mean, it, it was not, you know, all sunshine and rainbows. It wasn't like the, the Wizards just walked in and got their W and left. Like, it took them a long time to officially get that W, and then once they did, like, they still were not done. Scott Brooks was adamant on keeping those guys out there for whatever reason that may be. And he said, this was a tweet, I believe, from Fred Katz, but... Brooks said that he was a little bit pissed because whenever Westbrook returned to the peak for his return game, got a crazy standing ovation, and when he went, it wasn't as loud. I'm assuming he was just joking, um, but there's no video of it. I'm just going to assume he's joking, but he said he was a little disappointed in uh, Loud City, and maybe just getting those conspiracy theorist goggles on, like, you know, he wanted to maybe inflict some more wounds, saw some satisfaction, and just building the lead up with your superstars uh, when it was already over. But, yeah, it is what it is. You really can't fault them. You can't fault Scott Brooks for wanting to have their superstars have more reps because of how amazing their games were. I just want to say, though, um, with those ovations, Westbrook's was insane. Obviously, I went to that game. I didn't go to the Scott Brooks one. But he also got a standing ovation. It was just not, you know, he didn't get an, a hype video. I don't really know how you give a hype video to a coach. But, um, yeah, especially Scott Brooks. Like, I feel like his highlight was, like, the coach of the year going to the finals and maybe, like, talking to the players. But you can't really make a mixtape out of that. So, I don't know. If anyone was ever tasked with that, good luck for them. And I would commend them if they made a good product because that just seems like a hell of a nightmare. Like, that sounds terrible trying to make a coach um a coach like hype up video for return but hey it's whatever but anyways just moving on like i said with brooks playing the the superstars a lot there was a good reason to because of how just dominant they were from start to finish and just overall what their impact was you know bradley beal and westbrook they combined for i think 70 points on the game but the assists columns were still very ripe for um for the both of them they ended up getting a combined 14 assists and a lot of those assists turned into threes and you know they're making a lot of threes themselves so the wizards went 18 at 34 from outside that is insane and the thunder have done a really shaky job defending the three and their losing streak like this is not the first time we've seen someone eclipse the 50 percent mark and when you're doing it on 34 attempts yeah you're probably going to be bound to win so Shooting 56.3 from there is going to be killer. And with their um, with their 54 points they got from beyond the arc, Thunder needed a lot to kind of sound back. And it didn't help that they lost on the glass by 10, 57 to 47. And, um, yeah, I mean, their stars were just leading it from start to finish. So they had Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal with their 70, obviously. But Russell Westbrook, I mean, he had a season, like, this is going to be probably one of his best games of the season. He had 37 points on 14 of 23 shooting, 11 rebounds, and 11 assists in the game. And all three of those stats are 
those were the highest you saw from anybody in the game. So he had the game high in points, rebounds, and assists. I don't know when the last time we saw that was, but it's probably been a pretty... Uh, pretty long time, at least from from our pr- franchise. Probably happened with Westbrook, but I- I'm not sure on the specifics there. Anyways, point was no one was able to stop him. Like Westbrook returning to the peak, he was back in full form, and Darius Baisley could not stay in front of him. He did an all right job in the first game. Like he forced Westbrook to kick out. I think he had like 17 assists, and he shot five of 18, but. It wasn't like he was just driving inside and collecting free throws or just scoring. It wasn't there for him. It was there in this game, and it wasn't just him driving into the basket to collect his points. He also was shooting from three. He shot three of four, and getting in the foul line, he went six of seven as well. So it was a three-level scoring performance, and he, whenever he's going up for these like mid-range pull-ups, we haven't seen it a lot from him. But when he gets clicking from there, it's unstoppable, and Darius Baisley just could not really deal with it at all. So it's valuable reps for him defensively guarding one of the best of the best in uh, ISO situations. But yeah, I mean, he was just not really stacked up. He was not matched well in that. And even when he had Lou Dort there, like he was also not that great. Like he's always kind of known as the lockdown artist. Westbrook had his number and Dort was on Beal a heavy amount of time anyways. And Beal went off too. So both of them were clicking. No one was stopping him. Even when he threw Williams at him, it was still the same end result where Westbrook was either passing the ball out for an assist or he was getting a free basket. So it was tough. And then Bradley Beal right behind him had 33 points on 12 of 24 shooting, had six rebounds, three assists, and two blocks on the game. So he was just spotting up, doing whatever. He went four of six from outside. And yeah, just great in the shots. He was playing second fiddle to Westbrook, really. And then beyond that, you still had a couple of other surprise guys. I mean, Davis Bertans, I wouldn't really call him a surprise guy. He went um, for 21 in our last game against them. But he had 12, and he did it all from outside. Went 4 of 7, and then behind him was Raul Neto. He got the starting kick because of Advia's injury, and he did pretty well. He shot 6 of 10, went 3 of 5 from outside, and got 15 points on the game to really help them out so that was their four-headed crew really no one else scored above double digits but they didn't need to because Westbrook and Beal were literally just the offense on its own so I guess it's understandable why Scott Brooks played them it's just as a Thunder fan it's a little bit hard to digest that but uh yeah anyways for the Thunder you know they had a couple of high scoring players as well they had four guys end up notching the uh, the double-digit mark, too. And they had a couple of pretty decent stats, but they just couldn't really convert. I mean, they shot pretty low from three again. They went 10 of 33. That's just above 30%. And they went 26 of t- 60. Yeah, 26 of 60 from twos. That's like 43%. That's really, really bad for a right around the basket. You want to be shooting a little bit above 50 um, for your about average. So it wasn't pretty for them. They were just getting stood up inside and, you know, they had those stats that I really enjoyed. Like they had 12 steals on the game and they shot 25 free throws, made 21 of them. But, um, yeah, just not enough when you're talking about superstars on the other side, dropping 70 points combined. So couldn't keep up. And there were good, you know, four guys, like I said, who, I enjoyed, um, but it wasn't wasn't everything for them. Didn't cover the difference. 
And Darius Baisley kind of starts that list off. He had 20 points in this game. And this is the third straight time he's done this. At 26 in the last two, lowers it down to 20 when Dort's back. But I would kind of argue that this might have been his best, um, at least offensively. Defensively, this was his worst, but offensively, he was pretty good. Shot 6 of 12, had 6 rebounds, and he had 5 steals in the game. That might be a career high. And uh, he did in 32 minutes. I think the biggest thing, though, was when Baisley was scoring, it wasn't just inside, and it wasn't just from the foul line. He was getting open, and he was hitting his threes. He hasn't pieced together a three-level scoring game in this month, really, where he's had all three segments. Like, he'll get two out of th- out of the three, but never all three. Not the inside game, free throws, and the three-point shot. He did it in this game. So he went three of five from the three-pointer, and then just driving inside, he was looking to catch bodies. Like, he was going for posters for a good portion of the game. Didn't end up catching any, but the you know the effort was there for him and then when it wasn't you know uh, a made basket inside he would end up getting to the foul line again so he got eight tries that was the most on the team also the third straight game where that's happened and he drilled five out of those so I cannot be mad with his performance at all and I think the the steals might go a little bit under the radar on how he was doing just drawing the ball loose and kind of getting into the passing lanes to create some fast break offense and I think one of the guys who kind of benefited, obviously, from Baisley, but also just having the ball back was Teo Maladone. He had 20 points in the game, and he was pretty efficient. Shot 5 of 11 from the floor, and he had a team-high 8 assists on the night. Just like Baisley, Maladone also hit everything from all three levels. Went 4 of 6 from outside and went 6 of 7 from the free throw line. I'd assume this is just a product of him having the ball back in half court. You know, when he gets a high ball screen and someone slips under, uh, he's going to take the shot most of the time, and he's getting pretty good at that. And then even as a catch-and-shoot player, he's pretty lethal. And when he's going in pick-and-rolls, he's going to find players in his stride, whether it's across the court or just his role man. He'll make the good decisions there, and that's kind of what he's got a lot of those assists off of. He did have a couple cross-court passes too, as I talked about, but the Wizards just couldn't really stay with him. And it's crazy to think he's only 19 doing this. He is 19, but his kind of IQ and presence of mind while he has the ball is like a 30-year-old veteran. It's ridiculous. So he has a lot of potential to grow there. And we don't really know exactly where he caps off at, but you know that there is a lot he can work with. And when he has a shot that's working, when he is getting pretty good at you know runners inside the basket, he didn't look that good to start the year. And that's not even his best trait. Like, his best trait is clearly how he passes the ball around. You're talking about a guy who, in a couple years, can be at that really good starting level. I'm not, I don't know, fringe all-star, but I think there's room for that. Now, if we allow for that, and if he's going to be a starter in our in our rebuild, I think that's in the equation. But if we end up getting like a Cade Cunningham or Jalen Suggs, we'll, we'll see how he kind of sandwiches in. But I really like him. I think he has a lot of potential. And he, he's been showing it um, all these games. And someone else who really has showed potential is Isaiah Roby. He kind of got stashed back to the bench when we got Brown and Bradley. But he got to play small ball five when we played the Pacers. Got to play small ball five today. And he did really good. He had 18 points, shot 6 of 10 to get there. Or, or 8 of 16. My bad. And he also had eight rebounds, too. So I think that he did really good. I mean, he only played 28 minutes, and he was by far the best center we had. Like, he was giving up the rebounds. That's probably why 
they ended up losing uh, 57 to 47 in total. But I think offensively, he really helped out just due to spacing and spacing alone because everybody was driving inside for shots. So he kind of did help play a pivotal part in what everything was going on. But it, this wasn't all sunshine and rainbows for him. Like, there was a moment, I think it was the second quarter, where Mark Dagnall just lashed out on him. And he called a timeout. I think the play before, Bra- or Roby should have, like, set a screen up top, and he didn't. And then, the ge- like, the play before that, there was a little bit of a defensive confusion, I believe. But there's a timeout called, and Roby got pulled to the side. Mark Dagnall was lashing out at him. Like, he has done this a couple times this year where he has just blown his head off, just, like, screaming at somebody. And Roby was the recipient this time. You'd have to assume some pleasantries were exchanged. But he bounced right back, and he looked good for his whole entire time. And, you know, even though there was a little bit of a, a quarrel there between Dagnall and Roby, he was still very uh, early to point out, you know, Roby, Roby's game. And this is a quote from him. He said, I thought... He was really good offensively. They played traditional fives, and we thought we had a little bit of an advantage offensively using him as a spacer, getting his driving into the game. And then he later added, offensively, he was good. He was aggressive, got a couple shots to go, and had good drives and kicks. And that's kind of the versatility you're getting with Isaiah Roby. Only 6'8", 6'9". It's a pretty good wingspan. I think it's 7'3". But, you know, it's not like he's a huge guy. And really, he has a small forward body, Probably you can move him up to power forward, but not a center body. But he's been able to make it work, just like O'Shea Brissett did for the Pacers, just working in the small ball and, um, you know, keeping the keeping the floor spaced out. And when he's able to hit his threes in games, it's always going to be a good trend for him. He didn't really have that kind of game, to be honest. He only shot one of four from outside. But if it was a four of four clinic for him, this is a completely different game you're talking about, potentially, just because... You know, you have to have someone stepping up on Roby all the time, and then he can drive in and uh, kick the ball out even more. And he got two assists off of some kicks outs, and um, he also had two steals and a block. So he's kind of all over the place on the on the board. And so was Lou Dort. He had 18 points again, and he had eight rebounds, just one assist, though. I will say, even though he got 18, this was not his most efficient game. It It was, you know kind of up and down for him he shot five of 15 overall and one of seven from three that was his money maker before you know he had his little three game absence it was a three and it was also driving in driving in was working you know moderately well for him but you got to make your catch and shoot shots and he was just flaky and because of it I mean he really was not a very positive asset when it came to going up and down the court um, for at least for perimeter shots and you know I think a lot more than just Dort a lot more people than Dort alone were were a little bit cold from three like even Sfima Kailuk he was 0 of three and um, Ty Jerome was one of three those guys were cashing out like crazy in the games prior to this but yeah he just couldn't feel it and I think it ultimately hurt a little bit of a um thing that'll give the give the benefit and maybe whittle out the the fact he shot one of seven is he went seven of seven from the foul line so he's getting back inside and at least he was making that work and um i guess making making ends meet you know just getting to the foul line to uh help out for for what he did but those are the four guys who posted in double figures i just want to talk about moses brown though and he's been struggling like this was probably his worst game of the season 
and he just did not seem collected at all. He only got to play seven minutes in this game. I think it was a little bit below that, honestly. If you check NBA.com, it will vary. Like, this is like six to seven minutes he played overall. And he only had two points, one of two, had just one rebound, and he had four fouls. Four fouls in like six to seven minutes. So he was very clumsy, and he has not really seemed like he's been in a good space, like, he mentioned confidence as a major factor when he was riding his high streak, and we were saying, you know, he can be the future at center. He's given like 20 point, 15 rebound games, tying Serge Ibaka in categories all all over. Uh, now you're looking at him as, you know, should Tony Bradley be starting? And I think it's really just about confidence. Like when we had Brown going off, it was him working with the two rookies, not working with Darius Baisley and Lou Dort. And Teo Maladone's a lot more flexible in the fact that. He'll take a screen, but he's always looking in the corner of his eye to give a kick out. And Brown is always there. You know, there's also a lot more entry passes going his way. And I think with Poku, same deal. Like, they had that connection with the OKC Blue when Poku's driving in. He always is looking at Brown, and he's thrown a couple of crazy dimes to him this season. Like, I'm talking behind the back passes, no looks, everything. He's finding him and getting him wide open dunks. So you don't see that anymore. You don't see the dump off where... He'll, you know, do a little bit of a pump fake, get two guys flying, and then he plays a game of hole in the wall where he splits them and dunks it down with two hands. It hasn't happened in about two weeks, and the reason is because Darius Baisley's back. At least that's what I think because of how he operates and how he kind of needs isolation, um, like five-out offense, to really work at his best. So a little bit of a clash, and hopefully it gets resolved, but yeah, it was not the greatest game for him. And then even Tony Bradley, too. Like, he didn't play much because Roby was doing really well. But uh, he only played 11 minutes in the game, and he only had four points and three rebounds. So a little bit low between the two of them. Talking to other guys, you know, not much else was going on. Like, Kendrick Williams wasn't feeling it, just shot three of six. So I guess it was all right to get his six points. Jerome went three of seven for seven points. And Mikhail Luke went 3 of 9 to get 6 points. But, yeah, just not enough. Not enough of a push to really topple the superstars here. And luckily for them, they're going to get another shot um, for success. They're going to be playing, as I mentioned, the Philadelphia 76ers on Monday, where they will either tie a franchise low uh, low streak of a 14-game losing streak, or they'll just get back on the high side again. So, eager to watch that. Hopefully you guys are too. And I will talk to you guys about that in tomorrow's episode. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to wrap up today's episode. I hope you all enjoyed listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.